Thanks for joining us here on the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. I'm Eric Roges, and I'm the executive pastor here at Rolling Hills. This week, we're starting to approach the end of our series, Masterclass. As we open scripture to chapter 14 of the Gospel of Mark, we'll hear about the days leading up to the end of Jesus' ministry on earth. Jesus is betrayed, accused, arrested, tried, beaten, disowned, and condemned to death. But this was all according to plan, and nothing happened that Jesus did not foresee and willingly accept for our sake. And even in the mistreatment, Jesus remained King of the kingdom of God, Lord of all. Let's hear more about Jesus' last days together. Good morning, Rolling Hills, Nashville. If they keep adding more campuses, I'm not going to know where I am because they move me around from campus to campus, but it's really good to be here today. Um, just a real brief statement, you know, um, I got Mary Catherine mentioned of me coming on staff. I came on staff back in October, and my wife and I are moving down from Northern Virginia, and I got a call from Eric Rogis, the executive pastor, and he says, Mike, we want you on staff. I said, I've been on staff for 48 years. I'm done with staff, all right? I love staff, but I'm, I'm done with staff. And he goes, no, we want you on staff. And he kept pounding. And then Jeff got on the phone. They would, Guess who's on staff? You know, after, after <laughs> these guys could talk a hungry hound off a meat wagon. They were salesmen, I'm telling you. At any rate, we've loved it. We're sort of getting our, our bearings now after being, being here for close to a year. And we're absolutely enjoying our time. We are in this master class, Mark chapter 14, if you would turn there, please. Um, a couple of things before we dive into Mark 14. There are 72 verses in Mark 14. We are not going to cover 72 verses, all right? That would, we'd be here till midnight. So my typical way of preaching, if I'm going to do something like this, I will give you a big overview of the chapter, but I'm, I'm kind of a one-point guy. I like just one major point that I want people to walk away with, all right? And I'm also sorry that there aren't any fill-in-the-blanks. I... I'm, I just can't do that, all right? I told Jeff, I said, I can't, I can't do the fill in the blanks. You guys are great at that. That's just not my style. Uh, but it's great if you can. But at any rate, we just have notes on the back. So whenever you see that, it's usually either my daughter, Kelly, preaching or me when you see a blank sheet on the back. <laughs> that doesn't mean we don't have anything to say. It just means there's a blank sheet. So here's the big picture. When you look at this particular text, we find that uh, a woman comes and breaks open a a jar of perfume and pours it over Jesus, over his head and his body. And people are very indignant. They're saying, wait a minute, that money could have been used for the poor. And Jesus said, you've always had the poor with you, but you're not always going to have me. And this is in preparation of my burial. So we're right on the eve of Jesus being crucified, all right? They're just a few hours before. And then a little bit later on, after you go, you have the, the, the Lord's Supper, which we'll look at in a moment. Then we have Jesus predicts uh, Peter's denial then you have him in Gethsemane, all the, the places where they 
Jesus had called them to pray, and they got distracted with that. His arrest, uh, he goes before the Sanhedrin. Peter disowns him. That's the sweeping view, and any one of those you could spend several weeks on. But what I want to spend our time on today, and here's what I want people to walk away with. I want you to walk away with an appreciation of communion that you've never had before. And I will tell you that in my own personal study here, there were things I had never seen in my life. But you always do that whenever you study or prepare for a message. Because what is going to take place here today is the passing of the baton, the leaving the last uh, Passover and inaugurating the first Lord's Supper. And they are going to come together in one of these particular verses here, which we're going to notice in a moment. And once you see the convergence, once you see this, you'll come to realize that this could never have been dreamt up by any computer, by any group of human beings, because all of this is a fulfillment of the entire Old Testament, which is why it often says to love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor is yourself, is the fulfillment of the entire law. And Jesus is that ultimate fulfillment. So, with that in mind, we're going to read a few verses, then we'll pray. But we're going to cover verses 12 through 26. So let me read the first few verses, and then we'll pray. On the first day, starting in verse 12, on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, when it was customary to sacrifice the Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? So he sent two of his disciples, telling them, go into the city, and a man carrying a water jar will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house he enters, the teacher asks, where is my guest room, where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room, furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. The disciples left, went into the city, and found things just as Jesus had told them, so they prepared the Passover. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things out of your law. May we see things today that we've never seen before, and we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first thing we have to do is we have to talk a little bit about what is the Passover. Now, I know most of you have a pretty good idea. You've heard a lot about the Passover, but let's kind of go back. And in the book of Exodus, we find that the new Pharaoh who knew not Joseph, a number of years have passed, and Pharaoh begins to realize that the children of Israel, he says, are going to be are growing and they're going to be more and mightier than we are. Therefore, we're going to have to set up taskmasters. We have to put them into slavery. And so he wanted all the male children that were born to be killed. And then, of course, let my people go. And he refused to. And so God sends these ten plagues. And the last plague is that the firstborn child in Egypt would have to die. And since Israel was in Egypt, their firstborn would have to die. So God says to, Egyptian, or to, the, to Israel, he says, if you'll sprinkle the blood of a lamb over the doorpost and on the sides, 
I will pass over your house and you will live. And that's why they call it the Passover. And thus the Passover meal was a remembrance of them being delivered from slavery. Because God eventually frees them and sets them in, they move into the, into the land. But just to understand that as a background, because this is dealing with the last Passover and the first Lord's Supper coming together in one place, in one particular verse. And this also gives us what I would call the unfolding revelation of the subject matter of blood and how blood is used all throughout the Old Testament, pointing all the way to the coming of the Messiah. So the blood had to go over the doorposts on the sides and the angel of death would pass over and Israel would live, all right? So in Mark, in these verses 12 through 26, there are three basic sort of movements or things we'll look at. There is the preparation, the celebration, and the Lord's Supper, each covering a number of verses. So let's take a look at the first. Let's take a look at, at, at 12 through 16, which we just read. There has to be a time of preparation for the Lord's Supper. So here they are. They're going to go into what we refer to as this famous, the upper room. In the Gospel of John, they call it the upper room discourse from chapters 14 to 17. Many things take place in the upper room. But there has to be a preparation. Jesus says, go in and you'll see a man carrying a water pot. Well, men didn't carry the water pots. Women did. So it would be pretty easy to identify him. Then you're going to go and you're going to go to this particular room and the room had to be enough to be able to handle all that would take place because the preparations for the Passover, there were a number of things that had to be prepared. There had to be the, the lamb, there had to be the wine, there had to be the matzah, there had to be a, 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 like a paste that was made out of different fruits. And all these things represented uh, some of the bitter herbs and spices of things that they went through when they were in Egypt. They all had a kind of representation. And so this room had to be prepared because this is going to be the last Passover. And because Jesus is Jewish and Jesus has to fulfill the last Passover because he is the final lamb. He is the lamb of God, all right? And so in order for Jesus to keep the law and to fulfill the law, the last thing he has to do is he has to have and initiate the Passover with his men. And then at the same time before he dies, he has to inaugurate communion. And the two come together. And my intention is that when you take communion next week, that you'll remember and you'll see communion in a completely different light. It won't be just the breaking of bread and the wine and so on. You will see it in a different light. Because when you take communion, when you go before the communion table, usually we turn to 1 Corinthians 11. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And after he'd broken it, he said, this is my body which is broken for you. Take, eat in remembrance of me. And in like manner, he said, take this cup, for this cup is the new covenant in my blood. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death until he comes. All right? On the night that he was betrayed, all right? Here we go, right? We're right back here. So here's this preparation. You've got all these different 
things that have to be prepared. And this is the last Passover. Now, Jewish people will still have it, but this is the last one. How many of you have ever been to a Passover service, a Seder? Anybody? Uh, we had some very, uh, very conservative Jewish people that lived across the street from us about 35 years ago. And they invited us over for the Passover meal. And it was fascinating. It was absolutely fascinating. I wore the little, you know, whatever you call the thing on the top of your head. Uh, anyway, right, I walked into there and, and uh, sat around. We, they went through the whole deal. It was like three and a half hours long. It was a very, very big deal. And uh, I got a, a special sense of what this meant to them. And it, it broke my heart in many respects because they couldn't see that they didn't need to go through the Passover. Because in 1 Corinthians 5, it says Jesus is our Passover lamb. He's fulfilled all of that, all of it. So this is the last Passover. Uh, Jesus said, I didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill the law. Why did Jesus have to fulfill the law? Because the law is the righteous demands of what a person must do in order to stand before God as righteous. Therefore, no one could possibly keep the law, particularly all 613 laws in the Old Testament, but even particularly the moral law. No one person has ever kept any one of the Ten Commandments. You're going, what? I've never killed anybody, but you've thought about it. <laughs> you've, you might even have somebody in your mind right now you wish was dead. Uh, I've never committed adultery. You've thought about it. No one has ever kept any one of the Ten Commandments, and it's amazing how many people will tell me, well, I think, I think I'll get to heaven. I keep the Ten Commandments. Uh, I'm just curious, uh, could you name them for me? And they can usually get through about two. And I say, you mean to tell me that's what you're hinging your entire destiny on as the Ten Commandments, and you only know two of them? Well, I'd know them backwards and forwards, all right? So the law has to be fulfilled. Somebody has to fulfill that law. They have to fulfill the righteous demands of the law. Try to imagine this. Jesus is on his donkey. He's riding through the streets. Jesus would never cruise through a stop sign on his donkey. You know why? Because we're to obey the laws of the land. Now, I've, I've violated it about 30 times coming to church this morning, just, just that alone, or never set his cruise control on his donkey five miles above the speed limit. The law has to be satisfied, and somebody has to satisfy it. I didn't come to do away with the law. I came to fulfill the law. And one of those fulfillments has to be this Passover, all right? Then we see the celebration of this. Look at verses 17 to 21. When evening came, Jesus arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining at the table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They were saddened, and one by one they said to him, Surely not I. It is one of the twelve, he replied, one who dips bread into the bowl with me. The Son of Man will go just as it is written about, about him. But woe to that man who betrays the Son of Man. It would be better if he were never been born. So this is Judas, the, prep, the, prep, uh, the statement that Judas is about ready to betray him. 
But when he goes to each one, they each say, surely not I. I don't know what they were thinking. I, I, don't, know, I, I don't know whether Judas said, surely I. But how many times have you been shocked by somebody that does something that you think is so out of character? You read about a, a, a somebody that just completely departs from the faith or somebody that just does, does some crazy wild thing. You're thinking, that just doesn't seem like them. But all of us, as an old pastor used to tell me, all of us are capable of committing any sin at any time. Just push the right button. And they're all saying, surely not. I. It, it couldn't possibly be me. But it is going to be Judas. It is going to be Judas. And he's going to leave and he's going to turn Jesus over to the authorities. Now, here is where everything turns. Here is, here's where the, the hinge, the hinge, try to picture a, 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 a door and there's a hinge and the one part of the door is the Old Testament, the other part of the door is, is, is the New Testament and the hinge rotates right here. Verse 22 is where everything comes together. It almost reminds me of Psalm 73 where in Psalm 73, Asaph is, is complaining about life and how nothing is going his way and, and wicked people prosper and so on. And it says he couldn't understand these things until he went into the sanctuary of the Lord. Then he understood their end. That's the hinge in Psalm 73. Here's the hinge right here. Take a look at verses 22 to 25. While they were eating... Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. This is the unleavened bread. And gave it to his disciples, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup and gave thanks and offered it to them, and they drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. He said to them, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink anew in the kingdom of God. When he had sung a hymn, he went out to Mount of Olives. So now here's the transition. The transition is in verse 22. While they were eating, Jesus took the bread, the bread of the old covenant, the unleavened bread, the matzah, all right? He took the bread and he broke it and he gave it to his disciples, saying, this is my body. This is the representation. My body is going to be broken, all right? So here you are seeing the last Passover being fulfilled and the initiation, the inauguration at the exact same time of the Lord's Supper. They come together. Every time that you take communion for the rest of your life rather than just the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread and, and just kind of going through the motions. I want you to pause and say, I don't remember who said this. You'll forget me. That, that domain. And I remember that there is, a, there is a place in Scripture that says the entire old covenant, the entire law, everything is fulfilled in the person of Jesus and he is now coming to, to the the night of his betrayal, he's hours away from dying, and he fulfills the entire Old Testament law in the Passover, and he initiates the Lord's Supper. 
It'll give you a whole new appreciation, a whole new understanding. This is the transition of everything. The law has to be fulfilled. It must be. Somebody has to fulfill it, or the law is not satisfied. People can cruise through a stop sign, and the law is not satisfied unless a policeman pulls them over. The law must be satisfied, and so Jesus has to, has to do that. So it's brilliant. The Passover literally morphs in to the new covenant. It just literally morphs into it. It's absolutely brilliant. I was saying to the first service that there are people out there, and there are liberal teachers and colleges and so on, that will tell students, and there are liberal pastors and so on, that will say the Bible is basically just a nice book filled with a lot of silly stories. Or it was put together by a bunch of ignorant fishermen sitting around a campfire. And I'm thinking to myself, you apparently have never read it. No one could have dreamt this up. You can't even begin to imagine how many things in the Old Testament had to come about, the unfolding drama of redemption, to get to verse 22. You can't even imagine how many things had to have taken place to get to this verse. And it all had to have been written, no, and people that wrote it didn't know one another, and it was collected, and we see this whole thing coming together. It's more complex than the human cell. We will never get to the depths of what all of this even begins to mean. The blood of the Lamb becomes the blood of the Lamb. There was always a Lamb. Now it's the Lamb. 1 Corinthians, as I said, 1 Corinthians 5, 7. He is our Passover lamb. Now let's go back and see where this begins at the very, very beginning. And it takes place in Genesis. This is where this whole story unfolds, all right? You recall that God tells Adam and Eve not to eat from the tree of the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And Adam and Eve, you know, it's, it's, it's not a bad thing to get a second opinion on a health issue. Your doctor says you've got stage four of this, whatever. You might think, he could be wrong. I'm going to get a second opinion. When God says something, you don't need to get a second opinion. Do not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. From the day that you eat it, you will surely die. We want a second opinion. I'll give you one. Satan comes in and says, you won't surely die. And they took the second opinion. And that plunged the world into sin. But God did something for Adam and Eve. He right away clothed them with the skins of animals, indicating that blood had to have been shed. For without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And the reason for that is found in Leviticus 17.11 where it says the life of the flesh is in the blood. It's not in your fingernails. It's not in your skin. It's not in your hair. It's in the blood. You go to a doctor, what do they do? Take blood. There are something like 10,000 things they can find out about you because of your blood. The life of the flesh is in the blood. Scientific fact all the way back in the book of Leviticus. So, here in Genesis, sin takes place. Adam and Eve, uh, God uh, clothes them with the skins of animals, so he atones for them. He covers them with this blood. Then Cain and Abel come along, and Cain is going to kill Abel. Why does he kill Abel? He kills Abel because Abel brings a blood sacrifice before the Lord, and Cain brings the fruit of the ground. 
sort of a religious ceremony. How did Abel even know that a blood sacrifice was necessary? Did he just dream that up from somewhere? No. With, uh, with, uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. His parents had to have told the two of them that blood is needed. And so Abel says, I'll offer up a lamb. Cain says, I'm not going to. And God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's. And Cain became angry and he killed his brother. So what we see in the very first part of Genesis here is that Abel kills a lamb because it's for him alone. One lamb for one man. But then when you move forward and you get into Exodus and you get to chapter 12, the Passover, it's one lamb for a family. Then you get to Leviticus and the high priest goes into the Holy of Holies once a year and sprinkles blood over the holy place because it's one lamb for the nation. And then you get to the Gospel of John. And John the Baptist sees Jesus and he says, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. One lamb for one man, one lamb for a family, one lamb for a nation, one lamb for the world. And this was put together by a bunch of ignorant people sitting around a campfire. This ought to enlighten your hearts to communion, to the Passover, how the Passover is passing over to communion, and how all of this plays out. The Passover reminded the Jews of how they were delivered from slavery. Communion reminds us of how we've been delivered from sin and death. And yet both clearly point, clearly point to this. The Passover points to Christ. Everything in the Old Testament points to Christ. Jesus on the road to Emmaus with the, with the two disciples. Uh, they, they were confused what was going on. They didn't know that he had risen. They were all confused. And, and he says, oh, fools and slow of heart to have believed all of the law and the prophets and the writings because they spoke of me. You should have known that I had now fulfilled everything in the law, the prophets, and the writing. And he opened up their hearts and taught them out of the scriptures, a Bible study I would love to have been at. So we begin to see if there's an unfolding drama of redemption, an unfolding story here that just moves from one end to the other. But this is the night before his crucifixion. These are just hours away that all of this is going to take place and everything has to be fulfilled. So Passover, looking forward. Communion, looking back to what, is, what has taken place. Christ is now the host. He's hosting this dinner. He's hosting it and his disciples are his guests. And that's sort of what I think of when, I'm, when we come to communion. We're, 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 we're the guests at this, at this special time when we have remembrance of what he has done and for what he is going to do, looking forward to what he is going to do. Now, I want you to turn, if you would, to your Bibles. I want to take you back a little ways. I want you to go back to Genesis. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. And then we'll start wrapping up some thoughts here. But I think this is a very, very important portion of Scripture. And I will just tell you that... If I were to pick five of the most important verses in the Bible, this would be one of them. 
Everything flows out of this particular verse in Genesis chapter 3. Let me give you a little backup. Adam and Eve have now sinned, and God has cursed the earth, and he has cursed Satan. He has not cursed man. He's cursed the earth, and he's cursed Satan. And so we read this in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. It says this. This is God speaking to the enemy. And I will put enmity, that is warfare, hatred, all this conflict, between you and the woman. Apparently there's a woman coming. And between your offspring or your seed and her seed. He, oh, there's a he coming from this woman, will crush your head, death blow. And you, the seed of the woman, will strike his heel, or you will crush his, his heel. Meaning that there will be a death blow from the seed of the woman to the enemy, Satan, and Satan's seed will be a heel blow to Christ, the seed of the woman. So what you have in here, in this text, is you have the very first mention of Christmas and Easter. A woman is going to give birth, and it's going to be the seed of the woman, but women don't carry the seed, men do. But when you get to the New Testament, it's the Holy Spirit that plants the seed in the woman, indicating virgin birth, indicating the first mention of Christmas. And a death blow because of the cross, Satan is destroyed, first mention of Easter. And this book was put together by a bunch of people sitting around a campfire. Everything flows out of Genesis 3.15. It's why this world is in the mess that it is in. Everything flows out of this verse. This tells us exactly why there are wars and rumors of wars. Because God said, I'm going to put enmity, warfare, between these two kingdoms, these two seeds. And then there's this Passover that is pointing to the only solution to this war. The Bible opens with peace, it closes with peace, and there's war all in between. And we see it every day. This is why the Bible is so valuable to us. It tells you the exact truth about what is really taking place in life, everywhere we turn. Now, with that in mind, I want you to try to get a, a picture of this. It's a little, might be a little bit hard, but I think we can, I think we can do this. I don't know where east is, but up at our church, uh, this was east and that was west, and I could give this illustration this way. The sun is rising to my back, and there may be a tree over here or a bush or another person or whatever that I don't even see. I'm just standing, and the sun is rising, and it casts a shadow of infinite length because it's just striking me at level. And all the other shadows are just, you can't even begin to tell what those shadows are. But as the sun begins to rise, the shadows are shortened and become more defined. Oh, that's my shadow. Oh, that looks like a tree. Oh, that could be my next door neighbor or uh, whatever. But once it gets to high noon, there is no shadow. But the full revelation of the object that had been casting the shadow. Who has been casting what has been the shadow this entire time? 
the sun started rising in Genesis 3.15. And it goes all the way through. And as you're moving through Scripture, you still can't put it together. A virgin will conceive, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and he'll be born in, in Bethlehem, Ephratah. All these things, you, what, 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 what? And it's, it's a shadow, but the shadow is shortening. And all of a sudden, you get to the birth of Jesus, but you get to verse 22 of Mark. It's high noon. I almost call this message high noon. This is high noon. The full and complete and total revelation of Jesus and the Passover being left behind, that it's pointed to him all this time, and now he's the fulfillment of that Passover. Christ is the Passover lamb, and now he is instituting communion, the Lord's Supper. Last Passover, first Lord's Supper, all together, all culmination of everything in the Old Testament pointing to all of this. And this is what we need to remember when we receive communion. It's a lot more complex than you probably thought. It's called the unfolding drama of redemption. And so when you look at this and you, and you, and you pause, I, I, I guess I would say this. Not only do I want you to have a greater appreciation for communion, but you see so many people are still under what I would call the Old Testament understanding of the law. People even today that would, may even call themselves Christians or believers or whatever, that are still trying to fulfill the law by thinking that they're a good person by keeping the law or keeping the Ten Commandments or giving money or being religious or going to church. They're trying to build up this spiritual letter sweater that they can show God in the moment of judgment, day of judgment. He will be unimpressed. All our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Almost everything we even do has, a, has a, another motive, an ulterior motive. All right, We want to be praised for doing something or what have you. But you see, the law has to be satisfied. If the law is not satisfied, then what you have is da-da-da-da-da. That's the Passover. That's the Passover. Where's the resolution? He talked about that in, in music. There has to be a resolve to the song. And the dot, dot is verse 22. All comes together. All the music, everything. Symphony, harmony, it all comes together. And it comes together in this sense that we begin to realize that the reason that God passes over my sin is because Jesus is my Passover lamb. I am not striving anymore, trying to earn my salvation. My salvation is in the Passover lamb. It is in Christ and Christ alone. So if you've been coming for a while or maybe you'll hear this message somewhere, I don't know whether you're recording it or not, but maybe you're here today, and that has never clicked with you. You've always sort of thought that there was something you needed to contribute to your salvation. The Bible says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But here's what God demands of you. He demands that you keep the entire moral law perfectly. And you can't, and I can't. So that law has to be satisfied and has to be fulfilled. So Jesus takes care of that. 
He satisfies the law, so he earns my salvation for me because once he satisfies the law, the righteous demands of that law are now placed to my account when I put my faith in Christ. And he's not only done that, he's paid the penalty for sin by shedding his blood. For without the, for, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So he keeps the law, satisfies the law, satisfies the man for, for the law, for the wages of sin is death. And it all comes together in verse 22. So if you've never put your faith in Christ, I would encourage you that today would be the day of salvation. No more trusting in yourself or your religion or your good works, but Christ and Christ alone. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this divine revelation that no man could have ever put together. No group of people could have ever put together. Multitudes could have not put this together. And it's my prayer that no one would leave here today without trusting in Christ and Christ alone in his shed blood for their salvation. That they would pass from death unto life. Father, thank you for this amazing, amazing revelation of the Passover and communion, the Lord's Supper, coming together in one point of time and fulfilling all of the Old Testament. So, Father, we ask now that you would dismiss us with your grace and give us a day in which to encourage one another and to honor you. We'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. We're so glad you listened in on our Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast, part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network. We would love for you to share our content with the people in your life. Remember to hit the subscribe button so you never miss a sermon. Be sure to explore other great podcasts like the Making History Parenting Podcast, Men's Leadership Network, and the RH Women's As You Go Podcast. If you're interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. We're so thankful for you listeners. See you next time.